Greetings, welcome to The Dividing Line. I was just diving into exactly what I wanted to get into in the, um, in the Wilson dissertation right as stuff started. And so now I have to put that off. Man, I almost feel like saying, hey, just put this up on the screen. Let's just read this all together. But no, we, we can't do that. We've got, uh, we've got other things to be, uh, to be doing. But uh, anyway, I wanted to start off uh, the program uh, today, our fourth program of this uh, week. With um, uh, someone, uh, I think it was uh, Toby Logston on uh, on Twitter, had uh, made a statement. In fact, I, I think I could probably, since it's, it would be in my tweets and replies, um, had uh, basically made the statement that there is there's going to be a lot of thinking to be doing uh, in regards. Yeah, okay, here it is. Found it two hours ago. Uh, Toby and the lockdown logs. T- <laughs> um, one of the things we should probably be discussing: how to treat a fellow Christian who disagrees with your opinion about when churches should reopen. You would think that this is a salvation issue for some people. Uh, to which I had said, top topic on the dividing line in just over two hours, and that was not because of his having said that that was uh, that was planned uh, ahead of time and I think I had mentioned that uh, elsewhere um so it you know here in uh in Arizona very disappointed that the governor extended things out into the middle of May um a lot of negative things going on uh, there's going to be Stop, start stuff. There's going to be, I predict, all sorts of um, less than accurate media shenanigans uh, as far as numbers and everything else are concerned to attempt to uh, extend out uh, the lockdowns as far as as far as is humanly possible, as close to the elections as possible, do the most damage as possible. That aside, people can disagree about things like that. I think the evidence is overwhelming and will become more overwhelming over time. Uh, but the reality is that what we're going to be seeing now will be churches in some states that are open, uh, churches in other states that are not. So you're going to have uh, across denominational lines. There's going to be people that are still stuck online. Um, there will be some churches, quite honestly, that will not have celebrated the supper for months pretty soon. Um, and for a lot of churches, that's not a big deal. Um, for other churches, that's an extremely big deal. And it should be a central aspect of our consideration. I'm hoping that I'd like to see some positive things come out of all of this. And I'm hoping that one of those positive things will be a significantly increased appreciation uh, for the nature of the supper and its importance. It's ironic that I had preached three or four, maybe five sermons on that very subject um, not too many months ago. And um, so, uh, but the point is that eventually, I, I, I'd I'm going to go ahead and say eventually this will be behind us. I I do not think we will ever get past the results of this. I think there has been a fundamental changing of direction in our culture. Um, I think there's been a fundamental changing of direction in the relationship of church and state in the United States. I think that was already happening. This has just simply turned the light on. Uh, 
Um, we have been, in fact, one of the categories on our website uh, that I can click uh, when I'm defining a blog article is uh, post-evangelicalism. That's a phrase we've been using for a long time to uh, discuss, or to identify the fact that we live in a post-evangelical age. We live in a society that's laws and institutions are still marked by the existence of a conservative Christian faith, but the vast majority of people in that society no longer embrace that faith. That's, that's just a reality. That's not really something that can be, can be debated. That's just the case. And um, so as a result, I, I think that some of these changes didn't just happen overnight. They had already happened, but this is what sort of blew the dust off so we can now see what was going on or whatever other analogy or terminology you wish to uh, try to utilize in that situation. And so um, what we're going to be having to deal with, um, once this, once we get to a place where we can maybe gather again um, in large groups, I mean, what, what, how amazing would it be if you've seen the last Southern Baptist Convention, you've seen the last meeting of Together for the Gospel or, or Ligonier or whatever, uh, the last mass thousands of people in the same room type stuff. Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, but I'm not saying that that's what I foresee, but I, I could see it happening. I could, I could see a, a constant cycle of panic uh, on the part of people. And I could, I definitely think that probably forever uh, now we're going to see a lot of people in face masks, no matter where they are. Uh, I just got an email from American Airlines. If you're going to fly American or Delta or anybody else, you're going to be wearing face masks from now on. And I've read a lot of stuff that says that's the exact opposite of what you should be doing, but that's, that's not the issue right now. The point is things have changed. And let's say we get to a point where we can sit around and actually talk about this. There have been some fractures uh, that have been either uncovered created or made larger um, that pre-existed all of this, but now they're there. And this has been seen primarily in regards to the differing attitudes of churches in regards to requests and mandates from the state. So, in some places, the state has requested. Initially, it was uh, no meetings larger than 50 people. Then it was no meetings larger than 10 people. Then it was no meetings at all. Initially, it was, um, you know, just wash your hands, everything will be fine. And now it's hide in the basement alone. Um, a lot has changed and keeps changing and morphing. But... Initially, it, these were requests, and there was a lot of people, including myself, asking, okay, what, is, what can be legally mandated? But then there was, obviously, in every single eldership, um, well, okay, in churches with elders, <laughs> um, and between the ears of churches that have single pastor paradigms, or in deacon groups, uh, for those that have that form of church governance, 
there were the, all the questions concerning um, what should we do. Um, and immediately, I mean, I would say within the, I would say the first phraseology that was used within the church was we need to love our neighbor. And there was initially no discussion of what that meant. It was just automatically, well, you love your neighbor by shutting down your church because it's going to be an act of, of hatred toward your neighbor to spread the virus, to let the curve spike. Um, this was the paradigm that was being promoted, still being promoted, still being believed, I think, by the vast majority of people. There were no classes when I was in seminary about this, okay? This was, this was not um, a, a vital topic of discussion in seminary. Um, I, I'm sure somebody somewhere had done a breakout session at some point uh, talking about this kind of stuff, um, but I, I missed that one. And so the church as a whole in the United States and around the world was given very little time. There was very little opportunity for any type of major consultation or discussion. Add to this the reality that one's understanding of the relationship of church and state is central to how you're going to process these requests and the range of possible responses. My understanding, for example, is that, you know, certain large theological institutions, churches, the governor of the state himself called. And what do you do if you are the pastor or the president, you're the pastor of a large church, the president of a theological seminary, and the governor of your state calls you and says, um, the best information we have is that this could kill millions of people, because there was a study out of um, the Royal College of Medicine. It, was, you know, it will forever, I think, be known as the Panicsville uh, study, but that's what freaked everybody out. Once that came out, all, pretty much all the governments just simply fell into line. Uh, the models that it predicted have proven to be off by factors of... of Many factors. Um, but that's what freaked everybody else out. And so you're the pastor of a church, the governor's on the phone, and says, if you would shut down, and remember back then it was for a few weeks. It was just for a few weeks. Uh, if you would go to online stuff, or if you, your doing that would greatly encourage others to do that. Would you please help me in this way? What are you going to do? Um, I don't know of almost anybody. I suppose there were people, I just don't know who they were, but I don't know of almost anybody that had a written statement where they had thought through all of this beforehand and had given consideration to the relationship of church and state, the importance of worship, what is... What is missing in online worship versus in-person worship? 
Um, how long can one substitute for the other? What about the Lord's Supper? What about baptism? What about face-to-face fellowship of the saints? Um, all of these things, unfortunately for many evangelical churches, were separate convictions that had never been challenged as to how they relate to one another. And certainly in America, where many churches have flags on the, um, on the, would call it stage, Diaz, whatever, some fundamentalists put entire bunting around the, around the, but see, I've been noticing that, and it's like, what? Uh, around the uh, platform or around the, the pulpit and stuff like that. Certainly in those types of a context, when that state is asking you to do X, Y, or Z, well, it's my patriotic duty to, to do what I'm asked to do and to save lives and love your neighbor and, and so on and so forth. Different churches responded differently, and obviously one of the biggest issues that we're facing now is that within churches, there were differences of opinion. And one thing we do not need to see are new denominational alignments further further fracturing everybody, now based upon um, do-gather, don't-gather theology— um, you know, and, and that's happened in the past. Church history, that it, similar things have happened where you've you've had disruptions that resulted in entire denominational identifying markers that 100 years later nobody understands, but it happened. We don't need that now. I can guarantee you that. So, what do we do? Well, first thing, when this whole thing started. One of the first things that I mentioned on this program was the, the first big controversy was Hebrews 10.25 demands that we meet on a weekly basis on Sunday, and therefore we have to do this, and if you don't, you're a sinner. And I specifically on this program said I would have a really hard time defending that. Um, Hebrews 10.25 is actually about people who were purposefully um, avoiding the gathering of the saints. They were not submitting themselves to those who had the rulership over them. Same terminology also used by the author uh, to the Hebrews. Lots of people like that, that have a real problem with the idea of authority in the church, uh, of an authority found in the structure of the church, in the ministry of the word in the church, um, a lot of them have had bad experiences with people who abused authority and things like that, which we won't get into right now. But the point is, um, Hebrews 10.25 is addressed to the people who are refusing uh, to engage um, with apostolic command to be a part of the body. They're out under a tree with their partial Bible someplace, and they think that's good enough. It is difficult to extend that out to an argument that demands um, that 
even if um, there is a uh, if if you're living, let's let's go the other direction. If you were living in a German city in late 1944 as a Christian, would you, Hebrews 10:25 have demanded that you were to take you and your children to a central location? for a church service during Allied bombing raids? Um, no, obviously not. Um, that, that would be a situation where one bomb could take everybody out one shot. We didn't have guided bombs back then. It was carpet bombing, and it was a horrible thing. And look at what happened in places like Dresden and other places. Um, it was mass murder. Um, and so... No, there's an obvious instance where you don't take Hebrews 10.25 to mean that you have that kind of a, of a mandate. However, it does say that there is a regular meeting of the church. And it does say, do not absent yourself from it. So that's an address to individuals who are in danger of not being in submission to what the church does. The church can take a, a precept from that. And we should, obviously, the apostolic example is regular meeting, the singing of hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, prayers, the reading of scripture, and the preaching of the word. That's, that's the apostolic example. And down through history, Christians have longed for that community, that worship, so much so that to be excluded from it was a terrible, horrible thing. Obviously, that's one of the issues we're dealing with today is exclusion from that many people today would not consider to be a terrible, horrible thing at all. That's one of the major differences. But I pled for a balanced understanding at the very beginning because there were people on the one side saying, all of you who have gone online, you're just sinning. And it wasn't real big at first, but it has now become, in my opinion, the predominant theological conclusion across the board, liberals and conservatives, is that the appropriate theological conclusion was you stop meeting. You, that this is the mechanism whereby you love neighbor. And we're going to show the world we love our neighbors by submitting to these requests from the state, and if you don't, you are bad, indefensible, and probably should not be allowed back into any type of denominational fellowship or anything else um, on the other side of this. So, and then I think there's been a lot of people in the middle that have said, look, we're doing the best we can, um, a lot of our churches are made up of, you know, a congregation has mainly elderly folks. It's probably going to look at this in a way different than a congregation with mainly younger folks. At least this particular instance, next virus comes along, kills all kids, it's going to reverse, right? Um, but I think there's a lot of people in the middle that are uncomfortable with either of the extremes. doesn't make the middle the safe place, but I just think a lot of folks are like, I don't know. We've never debated this before. I've never seen a debate on it. I've never seen books on it. We just weren't really prepared for this. And so what do we do now? Is there room to get together and say, okay, this was our experience. 
Um, let's look at let's look at the numbers. Let's let's see how many churches are now dead. Uh, let's see how many churches are going to fundamentally alter how they meet, how they worship, what the nature of worship is in the future because of this. Um, there is room for discussions within the body concerning whether that was wise or not wise. Uh, but can that be done? Here's, and here's the problem. Almost none of this can be discussed right now without a massive amount of emotion. And I've already gotten into a lot of trouble because I am not a person who thinks emotionally. I'm a Scotsman, <laughs> okay? It's just not... I'm not saying necessarily that people in Scotland today, because they are doing that, but us old time folks. This is not how we function. Um, and so I'm not even sure when that's going to be a possibility, but when it gets there... Now, I'm in an unusual, a very sometimes precarious, I, I think it's a blessing, but it's a challenge at the same time. I'm in an unusual situation. Um... I sit here regularly, we have a, a very large audience, and we are thankful for that, and we are thankful for all of you who have stood with us uh, during this time and continue to make this a possibility. We've done our best to um, um, pump out the material for you and to uh, give you not something that's a distraction, hopefully something of, of great value uh, on the level of church history and theology and, and everything else, um, but... I live in multiple worlds. I'm also a pastor of a church, and I did not expect to be in the position of eldership at this church, um, at Apologia Church, but I am. Um, when we went there, that was not what I was looking for, but very quickly, I was functioning in that way. I was involved in situations where I had been pastoring an elder in a church for over two decades, and so you, you have to follow what the Lord provides. And so there I am, and that puts me in two different worlds, and I try to do the best with that. And in this situation, um, our fellowship kept meeting, while the vast majority did not. And when we listened to what the governor of our state said, uh, we did not hear any demands that we were to stop meeting. Uh, in fact, we saw rather clearly that constitutionally protected um, behaviors and activities um, could continue even though there was the request. Well, so we, we made modifications. Um, if you saw us meet in December of last year, you would have seen lots of hugging and handshaking and um, and everything else uh, that, you know, would be natural in that type of a situation. Um, at the end of the service, the last song we sing, the song leader invites people to come forward so there's a sort of a group develops down front, and there is a song, and then there's a singing of um, the benediction, uh, the doxology. We sing the doxology together. Um, 
and then there is the giving of the benediction. And, and normally myself or Jeff uh, are the ones who give that, uh, that benediction. And everybody would be close, bye, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so we've, we've had to change a few things. And so uh, we're, not, we're not shaking hands. Um, and we, but, but, and here's, here's the issue. Um, how do you deal with the Lord's Supper? Because I have, let me see here. Um, where'd I put this? Um, you have Knoxville and Knoxville County are allowing churches to open up real small. But one of the things they specifically say is, no Lord's Supper. No Lord, you can't have, you, the, church, the, the, the state is telling the church, if you want to open, you can, but we get to define what kind of worship you do. And in Germany, and they're considerably more authoritative even there, um, in Germany, same thing. No supper. So, as elders, we had to go, okay, what are we, how are we going to handle this? And so we made some changes. And uh, our tradition is to partake of the Lord's Supper in every service. Every Sunday we have the Lord's Supper. We also come forward to receive the Lord's Supper. We come take it. You don't have, you know, I, I don't even know how you would handle the passing of one common thing up and down rows. That's, that, that's tough. That, I, I get it. Uh, we don't do it that way anyways. So what we've done is you go to the back. We have two tables down front. This is something I normally do. Don't always, but I norm, I'm normally one of the elders that, since we started doing it this way, you have... Uh, the wine, and the cups, and then we spread the bread out in a much larger thing than we've ever used before, so that you can grab a single piece. Now it's it's unleavened bread, so you know, like a matzah. Um, but you can you don't have to be rummaging through everybody else's to get your own. In other words, so we made changes, and so when you go to the back and you get in line, then. Some of the other elders and deacons are back there, and I don't know if any of them invested in hand sanitizer when this all started, but it would have been wise if they had. Uh, but we've got the big old honking bottles of hand sanitizer, and everybody gets in line, gets squirted, uh, not forcibly, in the set, but you get get to do your thing. Uh, before you know, there's, there's we have elders. Believe me, Zach and Luke are big enough that no one's going to mess with Zach and Luke. I mean, we call Luke the bear for a reason. Zach's not much smaller than Luke is. Um, so you're not going to argue with these guys. So uh, they get your hands nice and clean, and you come down, you get your bread and your wine, um, and then you go back from from the sides. And so that's how we've been doing it. Uh, we've been doing this at two different locations. The location we were at when this all started stopped meeting, and about two weeks later told us that we had to as well, uh, that we are no longer welcome there. And because we rent facilities, we don't have our own building, which is a little bit of a challenge. We're not, not that small of a church, but anyway. 
And so, uh, when if you've been watching uh, Apologia Services on uh, on Facebook or something like that, some of you have noticed there are some sounds in the background. Those ain't fake fake sounds, and that isn't just one kid in the back of the room, the sound guy. Um, there's a there's 200 people sitting there, and that includes kids. Not as many kids. We have folks who aren't coming. And we have not, there is no recrimination. There is no putting these people down. We have older members who, who have voluntarily absented themselves with our permission. You don't want someone coming who does not want to be there. I'm sure they're looking forward to the opportunity of being able to come in the future in a, in a way where there's not any you know, concern. Uh, but yeah, we thought it through. We thought, well, you know, what, what can we do? Uh, that will allow us to continue to have our convictions as to what we believe needs to be done, um, but also to recognize the reality of what's happening. And I think we have a whole lot better grasp of the numbers now than we have in the past. I still think it's going to be, well, I don't know if we'll ever have really accurate numbers, to be honest with you, but I think eventually, six months, a year from now, we might have a little bit better numbers to be able to to go better. But you you don't have those at the start. You're getting all sorts of conflicting information. And so there had to be a decision made weighing what you believe is necessary for the church to continue. And the reality is that... People can watch you talking on a screen like you're watching me right now, but I can't see you, and I cannot see your response, and I cannot see when what I'm saying is resonating with you, and I cannot have a conversation with you afterwards and be able to tell by the way your eyes are looking as to whether you're struggling with something or not. That's just, that's just the way things are. And so, what are we going to do when we get together two months from now, three months from now, four months from now, and we ask the question, okay, we're all meeting again, but the fall's coming, winter's coming, and... What if there is a second wave? What if there's a mutation? What if there's something else? Um, I'm predicting an October surprise. I think there's going to be an October surprise. How could there not be? This is 2020. I mean, think about every month so far this year. How could there not be an October surprise? There's been a surprise every other month. Uh, That would make October the only normal month. No, that ain't going to happen. No, no. What? It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. It's good. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be huge. That's right. Um, we may want to take a breath and just go, could we just take a vacay now? We don't have time to. Because I truly believe that especially certain quarters of the political sphere have tasted blood. And they love it. And they're going to use this because you got to understand 
statists, the greatest danger to a statist is a person who is dedicated to one true God. So you look at China, and who is China going after? Notice I did not say just Christians, because you need, you need to understand this. China's going after the Christians and the Muslims. Because both of them say, you ain't God. And you don't represent God, Xi Jinping. Um, so, status don't like monotheistic religion because it obviously means that if the state will put into practice meaningful morality and ethics based upon the equivalency of the Ten Commandments and God's moral law, we'll be the best citizens you'll ever have. But that's not what state wants. The state always wants more power. It always, you know, Winston has to sit in the cafe at the end and say, I love Big Brother. Wants your worship. Wants your, wants your, your whole heart. He'll kill you once he gets you, but, but that's what's got to happen. And that's not going to happen with Christianity. And so we have to think this through, and we have to, I would highly suggest something along the lines of a letter to Caesar. A letter to Caesar. A statement to the governing authorities as to where their authority is derived from and where it ends. And that the Church of Jesus Christ derives its authority from him and him alone, and that therefore there are certain aspects of this life that they have no authority over. They have no authority to tell us how to worship. They have no authority to tell us that we cannot sing, for example. Now, does that mean we should ignore risks? No, but the fact of the matter is, folks, every time any Christian from the days of the apostles has opened his or her mouth to sing, there was a risk. It's almost like we, we've decided that, oh, this is a brand new thing. It only started in 2020. All of this was, life was risk-free until 2020. No, that's not the case. And you could make a very strong argument, a very strong argument, based upon some of what is being said today, that the very fact that the church gathered over the course of centuries was irresponsible for the church. Irresponsible. Because life has always been risky. And countless people have died because they went to church. That's a reality. That's a fact. You can close your eyes to it. You can close your ears to it. You can not, not want to think about it. That's a fact. And in fact, living life without risk is not living life. That's, that's the way God made this world. He is in control of when we leave it. And so the... I think we, churches as a whole, really need to be thinking through 
where we take the stand. We don't want to take the stand with these independent fundamentalist Baptists who are simply poking their eye, their, their finger in the eye of the state because they like poking their finger in the eye of everybody. That's just because they're irascible. It's because they like to be mean-spirited. It's because they like to hear themselves screaming and jumping up and down or doing whatever else they're, they're doing. We, we don't want to be them. We don't want to act like them. We don't want to embrace that kind of a perspective, that kind of a worldview. Excuse the uh, rather loud piece of equipment going by outside repeatedly. Um, but how do we differentiate ourselves? Well, we have to have a principled, biblical understanding of the rights of the church and the fact that any government, this is what was so beautiful about that letter that the Chinese pastors sent to the government two years ago, most of whom are now in prison, um, that, that basically said, you know, if you would, if you would do what you say you're going to do, we'd be the best citizens that you would have because we have no interest in engaging in criminal activity or doing anything else. Um, but the fact of the matter is you're under the Lordship of Christ and you need to repent because he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that of course, abject heresy in the CCP. That's, that's, that, 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 that is, that is committing heresy in that culture. And we need to know, Look, how many churches ran face first into COVID-19 and had never, ever thought seriously about how to put together in a consistent way a, a Christian worldview that, that takes seriously the Lordship of Christ, the authority of the church, the nature of of the ordinances of the church, the sacraments of the church, the importance of those things, why we meet, what is central, what is definitional of worship. Oh, wow, there was a huge black hole that remains a big black hole. Um, we ran into this without ever having been forced to cram all this into one consistent thing. And my hope and prayer is that out of this will come a great deal more consistency as we talk with one another about these things and as we recognize where our differences are and realize that for a lot of us, the differences are simply because we've just not thought about it before. We've never been forced to. Now, the only way that we can really do that and have all the voices at the table is if we don't do recrimination for what has happened in the past. And so... My fellow elders will tell you one of the first things I said the first couple weeks this was going on was, what, however we do this, we've got to do it in such a way that at least as far as it relies upon us, we are not, by continuing to meet, saying to everybody else, you guys are lesser than us. You, you, you don't, we do, we do not honor your eldership. We don't honor you. No, no, we've got to make sure that as far as it relies upon us, but here's the problem. It only lies upon us so, so far. Um, when people see that there have been churches, and there are a few, not many, and there are some, some states, I don't know that there can be any, because you have uh 
rather authoritarian structures in, in place. Um, but the fact is, when people see churches that have continued to meet all the way through this faithfully, that that's taken as, well, you must be saying all the rest of us are lesser than you, even when, when you don't say that. Even when you've avoided attempting to give any kind of indication of that whatsoever. Uh, the, I think that those of us who have continued to meet can learn from those who did not, and I'd like to think that those that did not could learn from those of us who did to understand why we felt those things were that important to continue to do, despite the request of the government not to, and the eventual creation of a not not a theological cons- consensus that was derived out of scholarly articles and reflection and everything else. It's just, well, we all ended up in this position, so it must have been the right thing to do. Well, that, that doesn't make it the right thing to do. So as we move forward, can we move forward? Can we move forward together? Um, I think denominations are going to have to try to develop some type of consistent theological understanding of what worship is, what the local church is, things like that. But a lot of this does require, I think, some fundamental examination of some foundational issues that the American evangelical church has taken for granted, has adopted traditions that are not really consistently biblical at all. Um, and so, we're, you know, where are we going to go from here is really, is really the question. I hope we have the opportunity to really think these things through. Um, I don't know how much time before the next crisis, because what I'm seeing is we can't do it through the legislature. We can't do it through the courts. We'll do it through crisis. We'll do it through crisis. Uh, we will lasso this culture, and we will drag it into techno-totalitarianism. You've seen, I think it was Bulgaria or Romania. Bulgaria, I think. And South Korea is doing the same thing. Wristbands. GPS tracking wristbands. Uh, so in South Korea, we're not, allowed, not allowed, allowed to leave your house. And so what would people do if they needed to or wanted to? They'd leave their cell phones behind. And so the government's like, oh, go leave your cell phone behind. We'll put a permanent tracker on you. Wow. I mean, so, and, and early on, I said, your papers, please. And this is going to be your papers. I did. I'm not trying to say, oh, I, no, that should have been obvious. It should have been obvious for years. Hindsight's 2020. Um, so since crises are so very effective, can you imagine, can you imagine in November of last year, if someone had come along and had said, look, we would like 40 million Americans 
to give up their jobs. And we would like a whole percentage of the nation's retail, restaurants, to go out of business. And we would like to disrupt the food chain. And we would like to threaten the continued existence of a large portion of the hospital system so that the rest of it has to be socialized. Um, and we just we would like you all to do this voluntarily. Voluntarily. How successful would that have been? Yeah, right now we have the lowest unemployment in years, but we want to jack it up past the Depression uh, and do all this other stuff to you, but we want you to do it to yourself. Who could have imagined? We did it to ourselves. We did it to ourselves. You, you, you can talk about putting the noose around the neck. You can talk about putting your head on the guillotine. You can talk about getting the shotgun out. Whatever you want to do. It was a self-inflicted decapitation. That's what it was. So that worked. <laughs> that worked really well. So do you really think they're just going to stop now and go, okay, we got a lot out of that one. Let's let that one rest for a while. No, no. There's more coming. There's more coming. And once it starts becoming a drumbeat, by then it's too late. Uh, we, you know, then we'll, we'll sort of get used to it, but damage will be done. But for the church, we only have a some, certain amount of time to think these things through, try to get consistent. And what if we come to different conclusions? Can we still identify others as brothers and sisters if we end up in a different place here. I mean, I'd be really, I don't know, but I would be really interested in knowing what the situation in um, China is in regards to the relationships of different kinds of churches, the churches that refuse any type of state sanction versus the churches that have some level of state sanction versus the fully state sanctioned churches. What's the relationship between those people? I don't know. Should have. Should. I don't. Try to find out, I suppose. Um, but that's sort of one, one direction we could look. Uh, I've mentioned in some of my articles which will eventually be, Winston will get rid of them. Um, Winston will, will make sure that none of those articles uh, exist. Uh, yeah, Winston will rewrite them. That's right. That's right. I forgot. Winston will actually have me promoting uh, submission to Big Brother. Uh, so when I've talked about Big Brother, they'll actually turn into, the, oh, yes, I love Big Brother. Big Brother is wonderful. And, and I want to have a, a wristband and ankle band, implanted uh, electronics and everything else. Yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. That's, that's what it'll be uh, eventually if things go the direction that they're going. Okay, you've got the, the mic up, so I suppose... Uh... <laughs> the <clears throat> Be careful. I am going to be careful, and I'm going to be sober. I think as um, some of the folks that we've talked to in the last 24 hours, the, the issues of the slings and arrows from within the body going both directions we need that needs to come to a stop and and 
however our convictions are, however we feel about this, there are things on the immediate horizon uh, that I think we need to really suddenly wrap our arms around. We need to consider the question of things that, the kinds of things that started things like the Salvation Army. We, we yeah, I know I'm a little off the normal path here. Yeah, you're not seeing where I'm coming from nope. here. But the, the idea here that we, we believe that we're going to have neighbors who are going to be on very hard times very soon. Well, yeah. And I'm mindful of the fact that many of those pictures that we look at from the Depression with the soup lines are out in front of churches. Oh, yeah. And I don't see us prepared for anything like that. None of our churches, really. Um, we've dealt with homeless in our cities for a long, long time, and we've kind of you know, donated to uh, food banks or donated to homeless shelters, et cetera. But I, I see something very different coming than what we've seen anything as normal. And then you put what you're talking about on the horizon, and you look at that, and go, okay, what about phase two? How will we deal with phase two? And if we don't get our minds right about all of this, and we're, we're going to be right back at square one, flat-footed, not knowing what to do, or everybody going their own different directions and then shooting arrows back at each other again. And and Well, it, I'm not sure... <laughs> I, I would like to have greater um, confidence in the non-arrow shooting part, but um, well, one, being one of the primary targets of those arrows, yeah. I, I, you know. One such suggestion that was posed to me yesterday was the idea of something like the Statement on Social Justice, where right. a formal statement is formulated. That, getting that wording go, uh, put down is going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not – yeah. Uh, <clears throat> My gut feeling is, as I said, a letter to Caesar would be great. I'm yeah. just the 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 divisions are going to unfortunately make that difficult to do. Um, my hope would be that thinking these things through might create more unanimity, but there's still some foundational issues that I think would make that pretty difficult. But there there definitely needs to be. Um, a statement made um, either by individual churches or groups of churches uh, to Caesar uh, in regards to, and, and this I think may have been, this is something I wish had happened uh, when the shutdowns did start, mm -hmm. was saying to Caesar, we will voluntarily do so for such, amount of, for such and such amount of time for these reasons, but you need to understand that um, that there are spheres of authority here and that we are not capitulating to your taking over our sphere of authority. Yeah, cooperation uh, is not capitulation. Right, and the problem, the problem there is a lot of people do not have an ecclesiology where the church right. has an authority to begin with. Right. Uh, there is such a weak ecclesiology in... Protestant evangelicalism as a whole, uh, that it's pretty tough to talk about the church as the bride of Christ representing his authority actually has authority over these areas. Right. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about when, when you started off, you referred back to that program where you 
discuss this. That was on March 17th. And you start thinking, that's six weeks ago. Yeah. So much has happened since then. I feel like I'm in a whole other world already. No, we are. That was so long ago. Yeah. And when I went back and watched that just yesterday, I'm thinking, wow, there was just so much we didn't even know we were well, what was going to happen well, in coming. the next four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. No idea. Mm-hmm. And we need to recognize that we're still in that same spot. We really are. We have just learned a little bit mm-hmm. as to what Caesar really can do. Well, what Caesar is going to attempt to yeah. get us accustomed to him doing. Um, that really is that really is the issue, folks. So, um, so yeah, um, things to think about, things to pray about. Um, I do not claim to have all the answers, uh, but I can tell you this. Um, the church that has no commitment to the reality that her reason for existence includes that special time of worship. And the fact that we think... This is is really where one of the problems is. We think that worship is the music part. (laughs) The worship is the authoritative proclamation of God's truth that then conforms the people of God to the image of Jesus Christ and brings conviction to sinners, makes known God's truth in this world. This is how he's worshipped. We are showing our submission to God by being a part of that proclamation. By sitting there, we are saying, I believe this is true. I believe this word comes from God, and that is my highest authority. That's what the state fears. And when we replace... that's. When we replace the proclamation with the music, the music's wonderful. The music's great. I love having the music. The music lifts my heart. I, I, uh, we we had. I think I played for you um, on Apology Radio when Summer was on, and my, my grandkids were there, and so they came in at the end. And did I play it or did I not play it? I don't know if I did. Um, but they had Janie, the youngest. Um, sing the doxology. Yeah. And we, we've made reference, in, in fact, we, we print the doxology now in the bulletin, because not, every, not everybody who walks in has a Christian background, you know? I mean, those of us been in the church, I mean, pff, was there ever a day I didn't know the doxology? Not that I remember, it's just been a part, but we've got to realize that's not, not the usual way. Well, uh, we, we put it in the thing, but Jeff was talking about it a couple weeks ago, and he says, if you have any questions, ask Janie. And I sort of looked at, Janie's with me, and looked at Janie, and she's like, yeah, I got it, we're good, you know. And uh, uh, so uh, that's all one, wonderful and great, and, and it's a part of the worship, yes. But one of the biggest things that the church has missed has been the replacement of the authoritative proclamation of God's truth as the act of worship with singing. Singing supports that, everything else, but the reality is what we believe is when God's Word 
is being handled and opened and proclaimed with authority. When it's been exegeted properly, you can say, thus saith the Lord. If you don't do exegesis, you cannot say, honestly, thus saith the Lord. But when you do it, you can say, this is what the Lord says, and that is authoritative not only for those who submit to him, it's authoritative for those who don't. And that's why China hates it, and that's why the leftists hate it, and that's why they will try to stamp it out. And that's why it is happening in, in back rooms in China and in other places in the world. And it may be happening in that way here, too. Which means each local church needs to be thinking about what happens when the state says, okay, that's it. We can't let you meet it all anymore. It's just too dangerous. Now, that danger could be COVID-21. That danger could be a, a bacteria we've never heard of before. Uh, that danger could be the danger you represent to the state's best interests. As it is in China, North Korea, and other places. And as is coming to us at a rapid pace of uh, incredible pace, pace uh, speed. So what you going to do then hero? Have you started thinking through how, where, or do you just give up? And the real challenge here is with technological advancement, it is so much easier to follow people. It's so much easier to follow people. And, so we pray. When we pray, God, deliver us from evil men and women. When we pray that prayer, we are recognizing God has the power to do so. So if he does not, it is his judgment. It is his judgment. And given that our, our nation, in the United States, and the vast majority of other nations in the world, has blood all over over its hands from the murder of our own children, we can hardly sit there and go, oh, he wouldn't do that. Why not? We've used our freedom to murder our children. Why shouldn't he take it away? So, um, okay, well, nothing like taking up the first hour on that. Um, of course, Rich had to get in there. You notice Rich is talking a whole lot more than he used to. He's... Uh, I think it's because of the rich cam and um, and stuff like that, you know, um, and playing with the with the things like that and stuff like that. Let's switch gears. Um, this arrived today. Thankfully, I've been waiting for this to come. I saw this. Uh, I think Peter Gurry uh, uh, posted this. Uh, it's called the Vaticanus Bible. I guess it's from Koine Greek. So it's th- these are guys that. You know, they're sort of part of the you need to pronounce it in a certain way thing, which I think is silly, but but they're putting out some interesting stuff. And you sort of buy it, and I guess it's sort of on-demand type thing, um, type of situation. Um, but this is from the Vatican manuscript, uh, Codex Vaticanus, which, of course, King James only people were like, ah, that's terrible. Um, but... Um, uh, I'll show you how it looks here. Let me let me find um, 
they they put the name up in the up in the corner. So here's Luke, and here's Kata Ioane, and here's here's. So it, what's neat about it is it it goes column by column, and then out in the in the margins, you have the verse reference. So here's here's one one up here. So here's the here's the beginning, uh, up here, and nice big print. And what that allows you to do is to really learn to read majuscule or unseal Greek text. The vast majority of seminary graduates who have read the Nessialand or the UBS cannot read this. It's, it's all... It, it's all... It's the full unsealed text, exactly what you have in, in Vaticanus. But it's done... Well, if you, if you go to what's on my screen... I have Vaticanus. I have Vaticanus up right now. Um, and so I'll just, you know, there it is right there. And so here's John 1 1. Here's the beginning uh, right there. This is only the Gospels, by the way. It's only Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there you see what Vaticanus looks like, but it's going to be three columns wide. So this maps to each column. So you can find where you are in Vaticanus, but it's just one per page. Um, so I think it's really well done. It's very readable. And obviously, if you can learn the discipline of reading Unseal, then Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, the papyri, uh, the papyri, sometimes it's just the more ancient form and and the, the, what they're writing on. These are written on vellum. These are written on parchment. So nice and even and, and beautiful. Now, Vaticanus, I, I've mentioned this before, I think Sinaiticus is a much prettier manuscript. Uh, but Vaticanus, um, some poor monk uh, did something really, really wrong. And as penance, he had to rewrite the entire manuscript. So in other words, he had to go back, because it was fading, he had to go back and retrace every letter. And remember, this is the entire Bible. <laughs> From Genesis to Vaticanus ends at Hebrews 9.14. The last part of it fell off. But anyway... Um, but so, so there's, it's actually easier to read this than it is to read the online stuff from the Vatican library, because I was showing you Genesis 50, I think yesterday from Vaticanus, and you can see there's, it was very uneven as far as the, um, lettering and stuff like that because of, you know, it's ravages of age. It's rather old. Um, but this is going to be really neat. Uh, if you're into like text criticism, stuff like that small suggestion uh, doing like some devotional reading uh, in something like this would really really help you in your examination of papyri and things like that it would it would really help um, you know you're killing two birds with one stone you can read from Mark you can contemplate the meaning but you're also getting used to reading that uh, that form of text which which would allow you to read across, you know, basically up till the 10th century when that's that's when they switched over to minuscule text, which is what you be more like what you would have in your Nestle and, and um, United Bible Society text or your TR for that matter. Uh, but the Gospels are available. I'll try to see if I can find it's Koine, KoineGreek.com. So just like KoineGreek.com and um you can purchase it, and uh, I like the cover. Uh, 
and there you go. So thought I'd let you know about that. That's a neat thing to be able to uh, to access and have uh, have there. Um, couple things on the cultural level. This morning I saw a series of tweets from a guy named Benjamin Perry, faithfully BP, and he's got a backwards collar on stuff, which means nothing. He's a homosexual advocate, and you'll probably be seeing some of his some of this series repeated in various places. Um, parents, be aware some stuff about homosexuality is about to come up. Um, but he says in his fourth tweet, the truth is Jesus and his disciples' ministry is no less holy if they occasionally had sex with one another. Or if he had relationships with the beloved disciple and Mary Magdalene. Remember, it's LGBTQ. There's, there's a bunch of stuff. There's a lot of perversity in there. Or if they expressed affection that fell somewhere between sex and platonic affection. Uh, what if Jesus cuddled Peter on a cold, lonely night? This is, these, are, these are people who are viewed as ministers, not only in our society, and allowed to utilize that type of terminology, but the state sees these people and realizes how tremendously useful they are. They're tremendously useful up to a point. Once the state has the power it wants, they get rid of them too, throw them to the side. But these kinds of apostates, these kinds of, of sexually perverted theological heretics utilize the context that we have today to promote this kind of thing and most Christians have no earthly idea of how to respond to this type of thing other than just with utter shock. Utter, utter shock that anyone could be so bold. And yet this stuff has been around for a number of decades now. I remember back in 2011 when I read Michael Brown's book, uh, A Queer Thing Happened to America. And there was a chapter about gay theology. And he said, I, I hate to write this, but you need to know what's out there. And this is the same. Now it's on Twitter. Back then, it was in particular books that were not widely read. Now it's on Twitter. That's nine years. And for some people, nine years is a long period of time. <laughs> Culturally and historically, it's not a long period of time at all. And so, this, uh, this kind of, you know, and, the, and the, the, these are churches, <laughs> So when you when you hear these types of churches making statements, the world is confused, but the world wants to hear that kind of thing. They want the open-mindedness of that kind of thing. Um, but they also know in their heart of hearts that that kind of church really isn't a church. It doesn't really believe anything, because they actually believe just like we do. They don't have a divine revelation. There's nothing, there's nothing there. And there isn't. Uh, but if you call something like that heresy, uh, there, there you go. Um, where did that thing go? Oh, I know where it is. I, I think I can find it. Um, Anderson Cooper wrote the following... I want to share with you some joyful news. On Monday, I became a father. 
This is Wyatt Cooper. He is three days old. He is named after my father who died when I was 10. I hope I can be as good a dad as he was. My son's middle name is Morgan. It's a family name on my mom's side. I know my mom and dad liked the name Morgan because I recently found a list they made 52 years ago when they were trying to think of names for me. Wyatt Morgan Cooper, my son, he was 7.2 pounds at birth, and he is sweet and soft and healthy, and I am beyond happy. He goes on to talk about the surrogate that carried this child that I imagine the boy will never know, would certainly not know as his mother. A number of years ago, we, uh, on this program, showed a picture of a lesbian couple with a child. They DMCA'd us for daring to put the, uh, the picture up. Um, but we said then, and we don't say as often anymore because it has simply become blasé. But there is something fundamentally evil in a society where you purposefully bring children into existence who don't have a mom or a dad. Losing a mom or a dad as a child has always been considered a tragedy. When nations went to war, when you think of the Revolutionary War, the Mexican War, the Civil War, uh, World War One, World War II, Korea, when a young man, when a six-year-old boy his soldier daddy died. The society drew together, recognizing the tragic reality of losing that father figure. And many others would step forward to attempt to help, to attempt to fill that vacuum. Now we have become so narcissistic, so perverted in our thinking, that we will purposefully bring children into existence to deprive them of a mother and to give them a father who will never, ever be able to model for them what it means to be a man who loves his wife. This is evil. It is morally reprehensible. And it flows out of the thought process of a society that has completely lost its foundation. The founders of this nation would have no categories to be able to even begin to understand what in the world we are doing and why in the world we are doing it. But I can assure you that the vast majority of the response to Anderson Cooper's announcement will be great rejoicing. This morning, Dr. Moeller on the briefing talked about someone on the other side of the political spectrum, the Prime Minister of England, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, who also just had a son by a woman who is not his wife. They're supposed to get married. Well, everybody always says that. They're supposed to get married, but they're not married. This would have been a massive scandal 20 years ago. It isn't a massive scandal anymore. It's sort of like, oh, that's cool. Hey, Boris. Hey, way to go, guy. Right? 
And as Dr. Mueller pointed out, we don't know how many children Boris Johnson has. He won't tell us. We know how many he has from marriages. We don't know many how many he's had outside of marriages. And he won't say. To say that England, up until the past couple of decades, would have found that to be utterly unacceptable. I can't imagine what the Queen thinks. <laughs> um, but this is the world that we're facing, and this is why we must teach our children about the abiding moral validity of God's law as a reflection of his holy nature and as a guide as to how we as human beings are to fix our moral compass. Because without that, they're going to have nothing. Because there isn't anything else to give it to them. The state can't give it to them. The state will give them something different five years from now than it gives them now. That leads to just constant confusion and a lack of purpose and a lack of guidance and a lack of foundation. But it is an amazing... If, if you have your own children, you and your wife, be thankful. The state wants them. The state wants them. The article against homeschooling that came out that I mentioned last week, the state wants them. Because the state knows their future is very much tied up in being able to forcibly inculcate their worldview into the young minds of children for hours a day. Vitally important. So we as Christian parents should know where we need to go. Should know where we need to go. Uh, that's really important. Now, um, I thought I had... Oh, I put this on... That's, that's what happened. I made this one go full screen. That's why I can't get rid of it. Uh, I thought I had saved one other because I mentioned to a fellow on Twitter that I wanted to utilize this uh, as an example. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Do forgive me for not having gotten this done earlier, but I... Um, did I save it here? Nah. Um, basically, it was uh, about, no, that's Anderson Cooper. I don't need Anderson Cooper. Maybe it's this one. Let's hope it is. There it is. Ding, 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 ding. Um, a Southern Baptist pastor by the name of Kyle Stevens responded to Tom Buck who is also a Southern Baptist pastor in Lindale, Texas. Um, he responded to Tom by saying the following words, if we claim to be pro-life, we should go to the same extent for all life. 
This means better gun laws so school children stop being massacred. Better immigration laws welcoming those not like us. It means we provide care for poor. That's pro-life. Kyle Stevens, Mission Stevens, it's at Mission Stevens, is the fellow's name. Now, it's not like he's the first person to have done this. This has now become the mechanism... Um, and I guess the flyover is going on right now. Yeah. No, it wasn't. But there's there's flyover going on over over Phoenix right now from Luke Air Force Base. It's already happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, see what I get for going long. Um, but uh, uh, I'm I'm sure. Yeah. Um. Kyle Stevens didn't make this stuff up. But we have been seeing this with the rise of the social justice movement and the fact that the social justice movement has, for whatever reasons you want to theorize, found a tremendous home in Southern Baptist seminaries. And hence, that means already is finding a tremendous home in Southern Baptist churches. The intention, the alleged intention of the Christian opposition to abortion is based upon the definition of life. We live in a day where there is more compelling and unquestioning evidence of the humanity of the preborn child than there has ever been before. We live in a day where the womb is now transparent. We literally can have three-dimensional scans of our developing children hanging there on the refrigerator door. Now, back when my wife was pregnant, it was a very blurry, blobby, almost nothing you could barely read. But today, things are a lot different. And we recognize the Holocaust of life that is taking place simply for the ability to have unbridled sexual activity outside of marriage and even inside of marriage that has no consequences whatsoever and that we're willing to end unique lives so as to allegedly enhance our own. It never enhances our own, but that's that's the deception. So what do you do here is you attempt to connect that with such things as better gun laws so school children stop being massacred. Now, there's obviously an assumption there. There is an assumption there that having better gun laws would stop these things. The reality is, in the majority of these instances, there were already all sorts of laws against that person having a gun to begin with. Not all of them, but most. And, of course, they're all gun-free zones, so there were laws against all of this stuff. What's really behind that is, well, we need an unarmed citizenry. We need somehow to use technology to be able to find every piece of metal uh, in every house that looks like a gun and forcibly remove it so that that won't happen. And then we need to go to the knives because we happen to know that that's the next thing that happens. And then we need to go to the 
vehicles that are used to run people over. And, you know, you, you see how it all works, but that's the mindset. The mindset is we need to remove all dangers, and a gun's a danger. Of course, a gun is also a danger to despots, which is why, in this nation anyways, uh, there has been, up till recently, uh, that amendment that allowed for the citizens to be able to defend themselves, not only against evil people, which reflects Jesus talking about the swords, um, but also to defend themselves against an evil government, uh, which no longer seems to be a fear of almost anyone. Well, except for a few of us. So now what you do is you take the clear and obvious Holocaust of innocent, defenseless human beings, and somehow you connect that in your way of thinking to, we need to disarm everybody. So, which of course is impossible to do in the first place, but even if it could be done, the idea is somehow these two are connected because life. Because life. Same thing with immigration laws. In other words, let's open the borders. Even though we have the most generous immigration laws in the world, doesn't matter. You just open the borders because that's life. We should all have the same. You start seeing what's going on here. This is a hijacking of the appropriate and necessary seeking to abolish what we know is the murder of unique individuals with an entire political system that is, in essence, socialism. So if you want to be pro-life, then you should be open borders. Uh, What? Should you be for uh, euthanasia? Should you be for, uh, well, obviously you should be for transgenderism, because that's the life of that person. That's how they want to live their life. I mean, you can go anywhere you want to by just simply saying, well, life. Rather than saying, well, but wait a minute, did God ever give us a basis for doing this in his word? Did he ever give us any indication that there is a, the connections you're making are valid connections according to his law? And since so few evangelicals have that whole holistic view of God's law, since they, since they look at well, since they don't look at Jeremiah 31, it's, it's quotation in Hebrews 8. When you ask, I will write my law upon their hearts, what law was that? Well, it's the law of Christ, which does not have anything to do with the Mosaic law. That's not what Jeremiah would have understood that to mean. How do you do that? Well, it's a tradition. But once you do that, once you just dismiss it, and, you know, we're not a law, we're under grace, therefore you don't have to worry about those first five books of the Bible anymore, or any of the application and what came in the prophets, um, then it's real easy to get confused like this and to start this wishy-washy, yeah, I'm, I'm against abortion, but I think it's just as important to open the borders. Which, by the way, is the suicide of nations. It's globalism. You can't have nations without borders. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's insane, but there are people running around going, yep, just, just let everybody in and then provide for all of them. <laughs> These people have obviously never had a job, created a job, business, don't understand ec- economics. But then again, there were not riots in the streets when our government only a month ago, a little over a month ago, um, bankrupted itself past 
being bankrupted. And in the process, redistributed wealth. Because whether you, whether you understand this or not, if you've saved any money at all, if you've tried to be, you know, do the best you can to maybe not be a burden to your kids once you get old or, or whatever, um, that, that funny money came straight out of your pocket. You, 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 you're sitting there going, but I'm going to get 1200 bucks. 1200 inflated bucks, which doesn't, ain't going to mean much down the road, I can guarantee you. Who lives on 1200 bucks? For how long? For how long? A gallon of gas, well, right now, is super cheap some places. Hasn't gotten super cheap here. You notice that? Well, whatever. Um, I've seen people paying 49 cents a gallon. Now, I remember paying 49 cents a gallon. There was a time when that was normative. Uh, that was, I remember 29 cents a gallon. So there you go. Yeah, well. Anyway. Uh, but that, that was stolen straight, straight from you. You need to understand. You were robbed. You were robbed blind. All those millions and billions given to the elites. Get used to it, folks. That's socialism. There goes flyover. Yep. Luke Air Force Base is doing a flyover in honor of the first responders or the hospital people or something. And so they're flying over right now uh, over our location here uh, in the Valley of the Sun. Oh, so, yeah, they're scanning for COVID. So they find it. They just and it's all done. So anyway, uh, so if you hear something in the background. Um, so all this social justice stuff and, and what happened to us and, and all this socialist panacea, I am seeing this in so many Southern Baptists that it just makes me go, wow, what happened? How did it happen so fast? And is there any, is there ever any turning it back? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I really don't know, but there, there, that's how you, 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 you dilute the focus upon the Holocaust with political contamination and being done by Southern Baptist pastors. There you go. Kyle Stevens. Um, good example of that right there. Okay. Well, that is, uh, I had, why was this up? No, okay, no. I, I already took care of that, so that's good. We don't have to worry about that one. All right, good. I think when um, we had a few things get in the way that took up some of our time in the in the Wilson studies, like I said, right before we got started, I was going, oh, this is, oh, this is really neat. And then we got started, so I'm hopefully going to get back to that uh, as best I can. But uh, I hope that uh, if your church is opening this weekend— um, that you will find the fellowship of the saints to be blessed. My hope is that we would be praying that as we gather again, that the Lord would protect us from unnecessary divisions and that we would recognize that there will be a lot of churches that if they don't reopen because there's just nobody left, the finances are gone, or are not going to make it for another few months. Um, that if yours does, you'll recognize that and be thankful for it. 
and pray for those who have lost everything. Um, and in fact, especially, I, I mean, I know we are going to be facing shortages and food issues here in the United States, but not in comparison to the rest of the world. Not in comparison. I'm seeing reports from Africa and places like that where the depression that's coming is going the, the it pray that God would not allow our stupidity in our overreaction to result in a thousand times the number of deaths because we committed Harry Carey economically. I'm almost thinking that even the left will try to keep that from happening because if it happens too fast, then the next time around, we're all going to be going, oh, don't even think about it. I would be thinking, my, my gut feeling is they're going to try to go, whoa, 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 let's try to, let's try to put the brakes on this because if, if we drive right over the cliff immediately, then we're not going to be able to use this to keep the leftward lurch going. Of course, the idea might be, go ahead, drive right over the cliff, and then out of the chaos, try to build our socialist, communist... Remember, socialism is just how you get to communism. So, our communist paradise from there. Who knows? But, Lord, protect us from evil leaders, men and women. Protect us, protect us, protect us. We want to be able to take care of our own, lead, lead godly lives, and proclaim your gospel. God's still on his throne, but boy, he sure can bring judgment upon uh, evil people at the same time. So, Lord willing, have a great weekend. If you are, are getting to meet, be thankful to see the saints again. If not, hold on. I know some states, <laughs> you're just... Um, and Lord willing, we'll be back on Monday. We'll see you then. God bless.